So my name is my name is Andy. I'm part of the team here at the church as well. And just for a few minutes, I want to share uh, about the story of Christmas and about the meaning of the story of Christmas. And one of the things that we all know about Christmas is that it's a time for tradition. And so we have traditions that probably lots of us would share. We wear Christmas jumpers. We have Christmas trees, we eat Christmas pudding and turkey and things like that. And then we'll probably have some traditions that are maybe unique to our kind of version of Christmas, how we do it at home. And uh, one of the Christmas traditions that I have developed over the years is that I leave my Christmas shopping until the last possible moment. I find that uh, there's something about stress that just gets the gift ideas coming thick and fast. And I, I, I remember there was a few years ago where I really had left it very, very late to the point where not even Amazon Prime was going to do the job for me. And so I, I had to physically go to a shop. And I remember turning to Beth, my wife, and just saying to her, hypothetically, if I were to go and buy you a Christmas present at some point in the next 24 hours, what would you like? And she said, oh, uh, actually, I'd really love a new jumper. And I'm bad at buying clothes for me, so I asked for some more specifics. And she said, oh, it's, um, I saw this jumper I liked the other day. It was like navy and slouchy. It was in top shop. And she said, oh, I think it was called a cocoon jumper. And so I thought, great, got it. No problem. And I drove into uh, Watford, and the traffic was horrific because everyone else had left it too late as well. And then eventually I wade through all these crowds, and I find my way to Topshop. And I can see the sign, but by the time I get to the sign, I've forgotten what the jumper is called. So I rang Beth and just said, hypothetically, if I happen to be out shopping for a Christmas present, what did you say it was called again? She said, cocoon jumper, cocoon. So I think, okay. And then I walk into Topshop, and I remember in front of me, Slightly off to to one side was this shop assistant, and she was looking helpful. But I decided to do in that moment what I think most blokes do in situations like that, which is not ask for help, and instead go it alone. So I started to walk around Topshop, and I thought, I saw these little t-shirts, I thought, no, that's not that, that's definitely not it. I saw these lacy garments, and I thought, I have no idea what they are, but they don't look very slouchy to me. And I carried on walking. Eventually, I came to the section that had knitwear at the top. So I thought, I'm homing in on it. This is it. And uh, I was feeling I'm going to find this woolly object and I will bring it back to my cave. And uh, I started to pick up the jumpers. And really, I'm just looking for the one that tells me it's a cocoon jumper. You know, just has that on the label. But, but the labels don't contain that kind of useful information. So instead, they had all this stuff about the wool and whether the sheep had a happy life and, um, and, and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm, I'm getting increasingly... Um, stressed about it, I started to hold the jumpers up to the light to see which one was shaped like a cocoon. But none of them were. And so eventually I give up and I think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to get some help. And I turn around and the same shop assistant is still watching me. And she's looking helpful, but a little bit smug. And I get the sense as I'm walking towards her that she was counting the minutes it would take me to crack, which was about 20. And uh, anyway, I walk up to her and I say, excuse me, uh, I need some help. Um, I'm looking for this cocoon jumper. Do you have one of those? And she said, what's a cocoon jumper? To which I said, I was kind of hoping you would tell me that. What is a cocoon jumper? And then finally, I have this idea that I really should have thought of at the start. I just wasn't thinking. I'll check. I'll just get the Topshop website on my phone. So I got my phone out. I found the website, found this jumper. And I said, this is what I need. This is it. Do you have it? And she said, oh, one of those. Yes, they're just over here. She took me over and I said, oh, no, I need one in Navy. Do you have one in Navy? She said, we don't have it in Navy. At which point... 
I'm internally in despair. I am externally screaming. I want to burn Topshop to the ground. And, uh, and that's it. And then that's the shotgun on this horrific three-hour-long kind of like wandering aimlessly through into Watford trying to find a present that was suitable. And I remember driving home. I don't know if you've ever made a promise like this. And as I drive home, I made this vow to myself. I will never do that again. I will never leave it that late again. But that's a number of years ago, and it seems to repeat itself. And so rather than call it a bad habit, I've decided to call it a tradition. Um, you might have your own traditions. Most of us do. But what I've been trying to think about as I've thought about the story of Christmas, and for us just tonight to reflect on it together, is the fact that uh, the first Christmas there were no traditions because it had never happened before. So there's very little about the Christmas story that even those of us who don't go to church find that surprising. You know, we've heard it in carols, we've seen it in films, we've been to nativity plays where you know what happens when the shepherds are hanging out in a field. A whole load of angels turn up and they go off to see Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. So there's very little about it that feels like it's a surprise. But if we want to imagine our way back into the first Christmas and the, the first time it happened, it was a total shock to them. They were not expecting this. In the reading that we had a few minutes ago, um, we heard that they were out in the fields just looking after the sheep. Basically, that's, that's the modern equivalent of us just going about life, you know, living in Watford, living in Hemel, doing the stuff, you know, like paying the bills and going to the supermarket and dropping the kids off and doing a commute and just trying to make ends meet, just going through life. And then their normal, everyday lives, bam, they're interrupted. It's like a flash mob of angels. One of them appears right at the start and gives them some news. And then the other angels just gradually turn up and they all start singing. Before you know it, there's this whole concert going on in the sky. And uh, it can be easy to be distracted by the angels and by the glamour and the glitz of that. But the real powerful thing, and this is what interrupts them. And this is what really uh, I've been trying to rediscover the surprise of again in my own life. The real powerful thing is, is not the messengers of heaven It's the message of heaven. It's what they say, not who they are. And the first angel that pops up, he's kind of like the Hugh Edwards of the angels. And so he says, hello, I've got some good news for you. And he says, there's there's a savior. He's been born to you just down the road. Go Go and see him if you want. It's a piece of news. And the thing about Christianity is um, before I became a Christian, I thought it was all about good advice. Advice on how to be a better person, maybe. Advice on how to be nice. And I found out, actually, it's about a piece of news. It's news about what God has done. Um, the, the, if you're in a hole, if you're in a bad situation, and it's on you to get yourself out of that, you may need some good advice. It's advice on how to dig yourself out of the hole. But if, you, if you've been rescued but you just don't realize it, then what you need is the news that it's happened and that it's been done. And that's what um, Christianity says. It says that there is a God of love and that he made us for a relationship of love with himself and that he has has made that relationship possible by becoming a person 2,000 years ago in the man Jesus Christ. And... uh, That sounds, you know, when I think again of the word news, it sounds like something to me, what comes to my head is something dry. And it's kind of like someone giving you some information and it's all a bit formal. But actually, uh, news can come in lots of ways, can't it? And some of it is incredibly precious to us. 
I remember, um, as I was thinking about this, this picture came into my head from, from 18 months ago, where my third son, Caleb, he was born with a really severe heart condition, and we were told he was going to have to have a major operation at one month old, massive heart surgery, he was going to stop his heart for 10 hours and, and do this huge operation to reconfigure it, and um, uh, I remember the day, because my wife and I left Caleb with the surgeons, and they told us, just leave the hospital, it'll be about 10 hours, but don't stay in, just wander around, and, um, and then we'll call you when it's done. And so we left our fragile, tiny little boy in this giant, pristine theatre, and wandered around these shops, trying to distract ourselves, and doing a really bad job of it, and waiting for the phone to ring. Because, of course, before you put your son in for surgery, they tell you all the things that can happen and all the scenarios, all the things that can go wrong. And, um, and after seven hours, we got the phone call. And they can't tell you anything over the phone. They just say, come in. So, so we got this phone call seven hours in and Beth and I looked at each other and we thought, this is, we said to each other, this is either because it's gone really well or it's because it hasn't. And so we rushed back to the hospital and we were told to wait in this room in intensive care and uh, we sat in this little waiting room on these plastic chairs and it was, we sat there for an hour um, waiting to hear one way or the other. And I remember the two of us just kept looking at each other and debating whether it was a good thing or a bad thing that we were there. And every time I saw a doctor or someone who looked official walk past the door, I stood up waiting for them to tell us something and nobody did. And then, and then finally, after what was the longest hour of my life, uh, the anaesthetist, the guy that had put him under, poked his head round the door and just gave us a thumbs up. And it was like this weight dropped off me. Um, and that was a piece of news. But boy, was it precious to us. And this is a piece of news. And man, is it precious when we understand what the news is. There's a saviour and he's been born to us. There really is a God, and he really is love. When I think about the type of news we're talking about here, another picture came into my head, and it was from this TV program that I watched last year called Long Lost Families. I don't know if you watched it, ITV, Davina McCall. But in the program, she, uh, she's kind of reuniting people who've been adopted, or um, they, they know someone, they put someone up for adoption, and they never met their biological relatives, and they're trying to reunite these families and one of, the, um, one of the ones that I watched, there was a sister, and her dad had, um, had had a fling before he got married, and there'd been a son as a result of that relationship. And he'd wanted to meet the son, he'd wanted to get to know him and have a relationship with him, but the, the lady he had the fling with wouldn't allow her. She wouldn't allow him to come near, and in the end what happened is she put her son up for adoption, so he was, he was never able to meet his son. He lived his whole life. Uh, with this massive regret that he had a child he'd never met before. Anyway, he died, and not long after, the sister, his daughter, decided she was going to contact the program to see if they could find her half-brother. And they got their experts on it, and they tracked him down. And he'd moved from Wales to Australia. And so, because this is TV, rather than just ring the guy up, they put a presenter on a plane, and he flew down to Australia... And they, uh, they'd obviously pre-warned the, 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 the bloke that this was happening. He was retired by this point. This is a long time it had happened. And so, but they pre-warn him they're coming, but they don't tell him any details. So, so the presenter walks up to this guy's door, knocks on the door. The guy welcomes him in. They're sitting there having a cup of tea. And the presenter says to him, can you tell me your story? And this guy says, well, um, I've had a good life. 
Uh, I was adopted by good parents and I was loved. Um, I didn't find out I was adopted until I was six years old in the playground, another kid told me. And there was a massive stigma back in those days about being born outside of marriage and stuff. And so I decided to escape that. And that's actually why I moved to Australia. Um, just to get to the other side as far away as I could from it. And I've married here and I've got grandkids and I've had a good life. Um, but that's my story. And then this guy says to him, how would you feel to know that you had family out there and they were looking for you? And um, this guy just digests this. And then the presenter, again, because it's television, they do it like this. They, they put a, just put an envelope on the table and slid it across him. He says, this is a letter from your sister. Would you like to read it? And then what they did is they made him read it aloud. So he picks up this letter. He has to read it aloud, you know, while the camera's on him. And, and in the letter, the sister explains the story. And she says, look, your dad always wanted to know you. It was his deepest regret that he never did. And he tried to find you. He just wasn't able to. And you can see this guy, as he's reading what his sister says aloud, you see the moment that he loses it that he cracks. And I remember thinking, of course he would, because for his whole life, surely he must have told himself some good stories, but he would have believed the bad ones. My parents didn't want to know me, and that's why they put me up for adoption. And then right there and then, when he lived decade after decade after decade with that understanding of how the world was and how his relationships were, suddenly he gets this piece of news and it transforms the whole thing. And we live life and often what we do is we believe the worst about God. We think he doesn't want to know us if he does exist. He's a distant headmaster. He's a cross kind of figure. He's uncaring. And then what happens on the first Christmas is this piece of news explodes in the night sky. And they say there's a God and he's love and he wants to know you and he wants to be with you. And it's huge. And I remember seeing the guy sort of try and digest it. And me from Beth and I, as we sat in that waiting room digesting the fact the surgery had gone really well with our boy. You have to process it for a bit. And some of the things that helped me process this and just get my, I suppose, try and get my head into it a little bit is to understand just a few things about God and and what he's like. And one of them is, um, and I love this one, he wants to be with us. If God is God, he can save from a distance. But instead, the way he chooses to do it is he folds himself. This This is the amazing story, right? He folds himself into a tiny little baby. And the one who scattered the stars into the sky holds Mary's thumb. And what that tells us is God wants to be close. He wants to be near. What it says more than that, and this is, again, I love this, is it says he understands human reality from the inside. He he enters into our pain. He enters into our suffering. He's with us in it. When I was at school, they used to make me play rugby. And I was so bad. I was tiny and I just used to get hammered all the time. But I remember there was a few times when I had my little rugby ball and I was running along the pitch when I'd have these giant kind of forwards coming towards me to smash me. And um, some of the most comforting words that you can hear in a moment like that, either from the right or from the left, are the words, with you. Someone yells, with you. And what I would do in that moment is I would pass them the ball and they'd get flattened. 
But it's like, ah, oh, I'm not on my own, even as this comes towards me. And that's comforting when a person says that to us. How much more when God himself says it and then backs up his act by actually becoming one of us. Hey, I'm with you. There's someone who's been born to you. And it's not just anyone, because the angel says, and I'm coming to land, but the angel says, there's a savior who's been born to you. It's not just that he comes to be a part of the pain, although that makes a massive difference. Is that he comes to save you from it. He comes to set you free from it. And I've been doing this for years now. I became a Christian when I was 16. And so I've had the opportunity to see what happens when people meet Jesus for the first time. When they don't just hear about Jesus, like I'm talking now and the angels are talking to the shepherds. But they actually decide to go that step further and encounter him, even as the shepherds ran off to the stable to see for themselves. And when people encounter him, it's impossible to meet him and not be changed by him. I've got lots of stories, but one of my favorites is, I remember our summer conferences. We run these five-day events for young people where we worship and we talk about Jesus and we do other stuff. And uh, I remember this lad came up to me towards the end of one of those events and he told me his story. And it was that when he was seven years old, he'd seen his his brother murdered. Uh, His brother had been stabbed in the chest. And so this guy became incredibly angry and he didn't know what to do with that. And he he got expelled from school after school. Uh, In the end, he got tangled up with a youth group from a church and ended up coming along to Soul Survivor. And he sat there um, in meetings like this where we sang worship songs to God and he was just so angry. And he he said, I would leave uh, the, the venue and I would go and find a post, a fence post, and I would just punch it repeatedly until my knuckles were red and raw and bleeding. Um, because it's the only way I knew how to deal with the pain. And then I would put my hands in my hoodie and I would come back in and hope nobody noticed. And he said that I did that for days until finally, uh, he said, just during the worship, I called out to God and I said, God, if you're there, show me. And he did not say that as a test. He just said it out of desperation. And he said, what happened in that moment is God turned up. He met me right there while everyone else was busy singing. And he said, I know you meant to enjoy meeting God. I know that's a theory, but I didn't enjoy it because I felt like all that anger that was raging inside of me just suddenly got sucked out of me. And it was the only emotion I'd known for years. So I didn't know what to do with myself. But, but he said, I've been changed. And I remember it because all his mates were surrounding him and they were like, he's really very different. He's really very, very different. They were loving, telling me about what God had done in his life. I met him a year later. He came back. He'd been working for a church. His life was different. Because he encountered Jesus. Because God comes to be with us, but he also comes to set us free and to save us. And in my own little way, I've found that. Not in one dramatic moment, for me, it's been a slow burn. But I said yes to him when I was 16. And I come from a great family, but part of my background was when I became a Christian, I was emotionally really, really numb. I'd I'd shut myself down. Uh, I'd I thought I could numb the pain. I didn't realize you can't selectively numb emotions. So I numbed the pain and all the joy got numbed too. And I didn't know how to come alive again. And I found when I met Jesus that there was a God who really is real and who really does see me at my worst moment of my worst day in my worst year. He sees the pain. He sees the guilt He sees the shame. He sees the stuff that I try and pretend is not even there, even to myself. And he still says, I love you. And he still says, I'm here for you. And he still says, I can save you.
And this is the surprisingly incredible, wonderful, true news about Christmas. Just going to get the band up. Uh, We're going to have our next item now. Just as they come, I just want to finish by saying, uh, when when we meet him in this way, it's not just that he saves us from our pain. He saves us from all the things we've ever done wrong. This is the beginning of the story. Jesus uh, is born, but then he lives a perfect life. He dies a death on a cross. Three days later, he's raised to life again. He saves us from all of that, and then he saves us for something. Because then we join his great mission to renew our world and to love everyone we find in the way that he loves us. If you've had so many Christmases, you've forgotten them then I hope that this Christmas we will be surprised again by the message of Jesus. And if you're here for the first time and you've never heard that this is actually what Christmas is about, then I want to encourage you, just like I did uh, a while ago now, and just like my friend from the summer festivals did, maybe pray that prayer at some point. God, if you're real, I want to know you. Would you take me on a journey with you?